Well, this morning we will go ahead and take a look back on into the book of Exodus. So go ahead and open your Bibles up there to Exodus chapter 26. But what I'm going to do this morning as it pertains to the book of Exodus and these chapters here is just give an overview, just a brief overview of chapters 26 through 30. And just kind of hang in there with me as I do, because you'll see that I have a reason uh, for handling these chapters in this way this morning. Now, if you remember, though, back when we looked at chapter 25 of Exodus, we read about the furniture that was to be inside of the tabernacle that God told Moses to have the people build. And we talked about how the furniture of the tabernacle spoke of Jesus Christ. We discussed the ark and we saw how the ark symbolized the deity of Christ with its gold and the humanity of Christ with its wood. The the mercy seat was a picture of Christ as as our mercy seat, our propitiation. Romans 3.25 speaks of Jesus and says, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. The table of showbread that we saw in chapter 25 represented Christ as the bread of life. The candlestick portrayed Christ as the light of the the world. And all of this we saw when we looked at Exodus chapter 25. And beginning in chapter 26, as as I now begin this overview that I've mentioned here, the Lord God begins to give Moses instructions for the finer details of the tabernacle, its size and its specific dimensions, the materials used in its fabrication. Uh, You can read all about that in verses 1 through 30 of chapter 26. And then in verses 31 through 37 of chapter 26, it begins to speak of the fact that the tabernacle was divided into two rooms. The first room being the holy place, then the second room being the most holy place or the holy of holies. And the size and the dimensions of these rooms are specified. These two rooms were separated by a veil. And behind the veil in the most holy place was where the ark and the mercy seat were kept. But the table of showbread and the golden lampstand were to be put in the holy place, not the most holy place, but the holy place. But again, this is just a, a brief overview of what you can read in chapter 26. And then in chapter 27, it speaks of the altar of burnt offering, also known as the bronze altar. Here we see all the fine details of that altar in chapter 27, what it was made of and its dimensions and such. Chapter 27 also describes the details and dimensions of the outer court construction, or what would later be known as the court of the Gentiles. And then beginning down in verse 20, it describes the anointing oil that was used for the lampstand. It was to be pure oil of pressed olives, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It was to burn continually every evening from evening until morning. Then in chapters 28 and 29, it speaks of the priesthood, the garments or uh, the clothing that the priest wore. Um, It would be the family of Aaron that would be the priestly family. 
in chapter 29 down in verse 4 is where we see that God ordains Aaron and his sons as the first priest. The ritual described there was carried out in Leviticus chapter 8. The consecration of the priests is somewhat similar to the cleansing of a leper that we'll see in Leviticus chapter 14. But in both cases, sacrificial blood was applied to the person himself, teaching them in that day the necessity for atonement before sinful man could approach a holy God. It was necessary that there be a blood sacrifice, that there be atonement. The materials used for the offerings are mentioned there in verses 1 through 3 of Exodus chapter 29. You'll see it speaks of one young bull, two rams without blemish, unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers anointed with oil, right? Unleavened wafers anointed with oil. Then in verses 10 through 21, um, three offerings are described a bull for a sin offering, a ram for a burnt offering, and another ram of consecration. And the blood of these offerings was, of course, a picture of the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of sins, which we will talk about again later here. But the first ram that they used in this offering was to be completely burned on the offer on the altar you'll see that in verse 15 through 18 this was a shadow or a picture if you will of what was to come in Christ's complete devotion to God and his being completely offered up to God the blood of the second ram the ram of consecration was to be put on the tip of the right ear of Aaron the priest, the blood was to be put on the tip of his right ear and his sons on the thumb of their right hand upon their big toe of their right foot and sprinkled on their garments in verses 20 and 21. This signified the need for cleansing from sin in every area of human life. The ear for the obedience for God's word, the hand for the action or the service of God, the foot representing that wherever we walk, it is for the Lord. Then in chapter 30, we see the altar of incense being spoke of. It was a gold-plated wooden altar which stood in the holy place. It was also known as the golden altar. On this altar, incense was burned both morning and evening, picturing the intercessory work of Christ on our behalf. In verses 11 through 16 of chapter 30, it speaks of redemption money. God commanded that every male Israelite, 20 years old and above, had to pay half a shekel as a ransom for himself. This payment was the same no matter if the person was rich or poor. And they collected it every time there was a census. And the money was used to finance the service of the tabernacle. You can see in verse 12 of chapter 30 that the money would guarantee them protection from plague. Right? Then beginning in verse 17, chapter 30 speaks of a brass 
basin called a laver that was between the entrance to the tabernacle of meeting and the actual altar. It was a basin where the priests could wash their hands and their feet. Any priest who handled holy things before washing was sentenced to death. This is a reminder to us that we must be spiritually and morally clean before entering service to the Lord. Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Then in verse 22 of chapter 30, it begins to speak of the anointing oil. This oil was used to anoint the tabernacle, its furniture, and the priest themselves. It was not to be used for any other purpose. You see, oil in Scripture is often a type of the Holy Spirit. The anointing of the priest signifies the necessity for the Spirit of the Lord in all divine service. In verses 34 through 38, it speaks of incense. The incense was a perfume made of various spices that was burned on a golden altar of incense morning and evening. Like the oil, it was not to be imitated or to be used elsewhere. Okay, In chapter 31 of Exodus, God appointed uh, artisans or uh, builders, right? People that he would give a special gift to to build the tabernacle and all its furniture. They would construct all of the furniture for the tabernacle. They would take on the responsibility of completing this holy task that God was given to the people through Moses. And if you look at verse 6 of chapter 31, you'll see where it says, And I indeed, I have appointed with him a Holiab, the son of Ashmach, of the tribe of Dan, and I have put wisdom in the hearts of all who are gifted artisans, that they may make all that I have commanded you. So he's given them gifts, and he's given them wisdom to use their gifts to undertake this holy task of building this temple and all the furniture that needed to go in it. But notice there how many times God uses the word I there in verse 6. This shows us that God was going to be the one that gave them the ability or the power to do all of this work. He was behind all of this. The work is the Lord's, but He uses men to accomplish His task here on earth. In verses 12 through 17 of chapter 31, it speaks of the Sabbath. And it declared that no work was to be done on the seventh day, not even work on the tabernacle. Okay. Then in verse 18, the Lord gave Moses two tablets of stone inscribed with the law of God, the Ten Commandments, right? So again, all of this is just a quick overview of chapters 26 through 31. I obviously wasn't trying to go too in-depth with you here this morning on those. There's a much deeper study that you can do on all of those verses there in chapters 26 through 31, and I encourage you to take the time to do so. But what I wanted to do here this morning was to put all of this in your mind to make you think about the old covenant that God made 
with the Israelites and what he was doing and what he was having them do and what they were building. And we see all the fine details of that written in Scripture. But then I want to direct your attention now to the one that put an end to all of that kind of sacrifice, right? And all of that ritualistic kind of stuff that we read about in the Old Testament. And the one that put an end to all of that, of course, was Jesus Christ, our Lord. So with that, I'll have you turn now in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 8. Here in Hebrews chapter 8, we'll see that Aaron and the priesthood of old was inferior to Jesus Christ, right? We are now under a new and a better covenant now. What we read about in Exodus is the old covenant. And we can spend lots of time going through all of the details of chapters 26 through 31. Again, it's a good study. I encourage you to do it, right? But what we read about, though, in Exodus is the old covenant. We don't need priest today. As a matter of fact, according to Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, Jesus Christ, it says, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, he has loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to God the Father. So we have Jesus today. And we don't need anything else between us and God. Chapter 8 of Hebrews here begins by saying, now this is the main point. So Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. Again, keep in mind everything we just kind of summarized and briefly went through in Exodus, right? But this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. So do you see the distinction being made here? In Exodus, we can read all about the old way, the tabernacle that God had man build. We can read about that in Exodus. But Jesus has built a sanctuary that is the true tabernacle in which you and I are to dwell. In Exodus, the high priest had to offer sacrifices, right? So verse 3 says here in Hebrews 8, For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, It is necessary that this one also have something to offer. Now, if you're reading from the New King James Version, as I am, you'll see that the word one there has a capital letter O, right? Indicating that it is speaking of Jesus. The Word of God is stating here that Jesus had to have something to offer as well, since He is the great high priest. And verse 4 continues and says, For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. 
who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Now that's something very important to keep in mind, that what we read about in Exodus is not the real deal. It's just a copy and a shadow of what was to be the true tabernacle, what was to come, Jesus Christ, right? As Moses, verse 5 continues, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, right? See the capital H on the word he, so it's speaking of Jesus. Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second, because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So you see, Jesus was descended from the tribe of Judah and not from the tribe of Levi or the family of Aaron. So that was the reason that Jesus was not qualified to serve in the earthly sanctuary, okay? because he was not of that tribe. All the priests of that earthly sanctuary, that earthly tabernacle, were to come from that family, the family of Aaron. Okay, verse 9 continues, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. So you see, the old covenant, which included the tabernacle, its special furniture that we talked about in Exodus 25, right? Its priesthood, its oil, and its sacrifices and such that we see in chapters 26 through 31. All those things which you can take time to study in depth, right? All of this was good, but Jesus is better. And Jesus is the final and the only answer for the sin of mankind. And today, you and I are to have our eyes fixed upon Jesus, focused on Jesus. Back in the time of the Exodus, they had the rituals and such to keep their minds on, right? But the fulfillment of all of that is Jesus Christ. They had the shadows, right? But we have the real deal. You see, Jesus didn't come as a high priest and offer up for us animal sacrifices when he got here. No, he offered up himself, okay? He allowed for his own blood to be shed. And you know, as it pertains to the old covenant, the covenant of the law, that is, if you were obedient to it, you were blessed. If you were disobedient to it, then you were threatened with death. The new covenant is a covenant of grace, the covenant that we are now under. It imputes or it gives righteousness to us based on our obedience or based on the obedience, I should say, of Jesus Christ. He was obedient unto death, 
even death on the cross. The old covenant was a works-based covenant. The new covenant in the blood of Christ is a faith-based covenant. And that faith then produces works as a result of Christ being in us by His Holy Spirit and we're led by the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. Okay, And we saw in verse 7 there, the old covenant was not faultless, like it says. It did not create the ideal relationship between God and man. God did not intend for that covenant that we read about in Exodus, right, and other Old Testament books, He did not intend for that to be the final covenant. It was just a shadow of what was to come in Jesus Christ, right? We go back and we, we read in the Old Testament, now we go back and we can read it and, and study it and such simply for our learning, but we don't live under that old covenant any longer. We now live under the new covenant, which is a better covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. And God has shown us grace and He has shown us mercy. But let's continue reading in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So notice there in verse 10 that God uses the words, I will, three times. I pointed that out in Exodus as well, how God used the word I, right? But here he says, I will. He uses it three times. You see, the new covenant is all about what God has done to make us righteous in His sight. Not about what we can do to become righteous in His sight. The old was based on what man, what we, mankind, needed to do. That's what the old covenant was based on. It was based on works. But the new covenant is based on grace, and it's based on what God has done in giving us Jesus Christ. Verse 11 says, none of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brother, saying, know the Lord. For all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. You see, this is just another reason that the new covenant is better. We have Christ in us by His Holy Spirit today. In 1 John 2.27, it says that the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. So again, the new covenant is better because you have the anointing, the Spirit of the Lord indwelling you when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. And the anointing represented in scriptures by oil is with you always in the Old Testament scripture represented by the oil, but it's with you always today, day and night, burning within you, leading and guiding you. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And verse 12 speaks of the new covenant here still and says, For I will be merciful 
to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So again, the old covenant that you read about in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, Deuteronomy and such, and the laws that pertain to the old covenant are obsolete. And you and me today, as it pertains to our being righteous before God, and I stress that last part there where I said, as it pertains to our being righteous before God, because obviously the principles of the law were good even and are good even in our day and age. They're as good as they were in the time of the Exodus. We should be people that adhere to them, people that honor and reverence God in the way that we live our lives and in the things we do. But in our flesh, right, in our carnality, we are hopeless as it pertains to being made righteous in the sight of God. And we all fall short. And the law proves that to us. It proves that we are sinners because we, just as the children of Israel, were unable to keep the whole law. And the standard that is set in the scriptures is that you have to keep the whole law, right? You can't fail at any point of it. So if you're going to put yourself under the law, then you've got to be perfect. So thank God for Jesus, right? Thank God for the new covenant. Thank God for the better covenant, the covenant of grace and mercy that we have in Jesus Christ. We enter into this covenant through faith in Jesus Christ. For by grace, you have been saved through faith, right? Salvation, um, that is a righteous standing before God, is offered to the entire world today, though, by grace. It's offered to everyone by grace, right? And grace is unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. No one deserves it. No one deserves that our Lord would come into the world and and be tempted in all ways like as we are, would remain innocent of all sin, but yet be hung on a cross and put to death as if he were a sinner. None of us was worthy of that sacrifice, but it was the one and only sacrifice for our atonement. It's all there is. Many people today, though, still keep themselves under the ways of the old covenant that God had with the Israelites. But today, salvation is offered to all, not just one group of people, but to all. Whomsoever will can come and be saved. Now, since we only did an overview of those six chapters of Exodus, I would like for us to close out this morning by reading through the 28 verses that are in Hebrews chapter 9, because it speaks of all of that as well. It gives us a wonderful description of kind of what we skimmed over in Exodus. And I kind of went through a little bit of uh, Hebrew. I went through all of Hebrews chapter 8. But let's uh, go ahead and just read through Hebrews chapter 9. And keep everything in mind that we've talked about, especially that we've looked at in Exodus. Then indeed, verse 1 says, Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary, for a tabernacle was prepared. The first part 
in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the the golden pot that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both Gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regards to conscience, concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. But Christ came as, a, as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, He took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise, he sprinkled the blood, both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, or no remission. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered 
the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another, he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So we see that Jesus is the better way, a new and a better covenant. He is the final answer. No more sacrifices, no more priests between us and God, no more any of that. We don't need any of that anymore. We have Jesus, and Jesus is the fulfillment of it all. So as you study Exodus, and the reason I wanted to jump on over into Hebrews like this and read these two chapters is because we can spend a lot of time going through the details of all the furniture and the building of the temple and all of that, but what's the purpose of it all? Well, how does it apply to our lives today? What does it mean to you and me? What does it point us to? And obviously we see that it all pointed to Jesus, and it points all of us to put all our full attention to fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one that did it all for us. He's the one that laid his life down and he surrendered all. He gave his all in order that we might have eternal life. And all he wants us to do is to walk by faith in him and to keep our eyes fixed on him. That's the point of God's word from Genesis to Revelation, that we would come to know Jesus and that we would continue to walk with him and continue to fix our eyes on Him through this entire life that we live, this temporary life that we live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You again for this brief time, God, that we get to gather as believers in Your name. Thank You, Lord, though, that each and every day, Lord, that be it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whatever day of the week it is, You are with us, Lord. and You, you lead and You guide us through this life. And we thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your faithfulness, Lord. We thank you for what you have done, Lord. We just acknowledge and remember who you are, Lord, because we are nothing without you. Lord, and we can go nowhere and do anything, Lord, if not for you. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by your Spirit. So thank you for your love and your grace in our lives this day. As we go forth into a new week, Lord. I pray that we will all just continue to fix our eyes on you. And Lord, to not be distracted by this world and to not take our eyes off of you, Lord. We pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But while you tarry, empower us and use us for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.